Welcome to Talking Time Podcast. Today we've got um, two very special guests from Oracle Time Magazine. Ricky, would you like to introduce them? Oh, oh quickly to me then, is it? So oh, yes, yeah. we do have two esteemed <laughs> gentlemen, journalists, reporters, people who know how to work with words better than I and also very good with cameras, it turns out. These two folks have been friends of mine for over a year, met multiple times throughout the last year, mostly in different countries, generally Geneva. But it is my pleasure and Katia's pleasure to introduce two folks. We have got Tom and Sam from Oracle Time Magazine. How are you guys doing? Very good, thank you. But Katia, this is the third episode. How have the first two gone down? Great response. Uh, we had Mike Franz first talking about his journey into watches and his hobbies, football and all sorts of different things. And uh, the next guys we had were from Bowcroft Watches. Uh, it's a new watch brand, uh, beautiful watches based in Cambridge. Um, and um, next one's Oracle Time. <laughs> yeah, we thought we'd save you guys until we'd taken the training wheels off. The stabilizers are away and it's time to hit the road running. So let's talk to Sam first because you're the picture that appears first in the magazine when we flick through. I uh, try not to dwell on that picture too much. It's a very <laughs> old one and not the most flattering in the world, as I'm sure you can tell people right now. Would I say such a thing? So tell us a little bit about yourself then, because perhaps the listeners don't know much about Oracle Time. They definitely should, because they should have copies of it coming through their door. I would hope so. Uh, so we are the UK's leading luxury lifestyle magazine for watch collectors. We've been going about nine years now. Uh, I have been editor for between four and five years of that. Uh, and essentially, we try and run down the best of the best in the watch industry and tie that in with some good, relevant lifestyle content, all in a lovely glossy print magazine with some amazing in-house photography i couldn't agree more tom would you like to add anything to that <laughs> no that's pretty pretty succinct yeah um yeah we are just really trying to fill that niche for um a luxury print watch magazine um obviously with with lifestyle elements as well um but very much focused on on creating you know the best content we can um so whether that's focused on reviews news um looking at brands in depth um whatever it might be we try and you know create a real story behind it and something that people can hopefully sit back of an evening relax turn off their uh instagram their tiktok all their digital kind of platforms and 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 have a good read of, of something um i think you know within the watch collecting community i think it goes without saying that people enjoy analog things um and so we just feel like it really goes hand in hand with that and that's kind of what we we try and do um obviously we have the website we have other elements we have you know youtube where we 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 try and sort of grow our following um but it is all sort of comes back to to the print magazine really um and we yeah we as as I think a lot of the listeners will hopefully know because they get a copy of the magazine. Um, we, you know, theme issues. We try and focus um, the content around uh, different areas that are sort of linked to watches. So whether that's, you know, for example, our latest aviation issue um, or something focused on motoring, um, we try and sort of tie in those other other interests with watches as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're about. We've been going ten years. I sort of found in the magazine with my business partner. Um, you know, in complete honesty, it was a it was a business um, decision. 
Um, but we've sort of fallen in love with watches and the watch community and the watch world since. Um, it's something that we really enjoy putting together every month, you know, coming up with the new content ideas, shooting the watches, um, you know, coming up with the design. It's a real sort of labor of love, I guess, producing each issue. No, I was just going to ask what the first issue was. Um, that, that's always, uh, it's always hard to get, to get started. <laughs> so how did you decide, like, this is what we're going first with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I honestly, I think we have about a a couple of copies of the first issue left. I, ca I can't quite even remember the watch that's on the cover. Um, but we initially set the magazine up in partnership with a with a with a retailer. Actually, that was kind of the the leverage we we used to to essentially be able to print the magazine and afford to print it. We we sort of leaned on their brands for advertising. In complete honesty, so for a while it kind of had this weird <laughs> relationship with this retailer. But after a while, we ditched that and and it became sort of a uh, an entity on its own. Um, I remember the first issue we were going to press. My business partner was heading to Basel. <laughs> we could only afford one of us to go. <laughs> and we were signing off the magazine at 5 a.m. in the morning, just trying to get it all done so it hit the, the, the press deadline and, and we'd actually have a, a product to show people um, at Basel. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real journey and, and something that's, um, you know, hopefully developed in quality, but there's, there's always room for improvement. <laughs> you should frame it so as well. I. Is it framed? Oh, you've not seen it. <laughs> no, no. They refused to show it to me for some reason. <laughs> I try and hide that one. I can agree with that. I remember the first issue of the magazine I worked on or found it back in the day. And yeah, I hate that one well away. And if any issue ones appear in eBay, I buy them and burn them in bulk. <laughs> the reason I mentioned earlier that people should know what your magazine is all about is because it was a gift for members of the Alliance. I know some people will be listening to this who aren't members yet because this is open to all. But Katja, for those people that haven't joined up yet, what are the member benefits? Well, um, just to say first, to the, thanks to the guys for being our huge supporters from the beginning and writing about British watchmaking in general and covering British brands. Um, it's, it's been huge help for us. And most importantly, thanks for... Um, providing copies for our club membership of um, Oracle Time magazine, uh, print copies. Um, always very gratefully received. Everyone loves them. Um, and so one of our main, main main benefits of joining really the Alliance uh, is your subscription. I, I love getting it in the post. I know it's sort of more focused towards men, but I absolutely love reading it. Um, it's great. I was actually wondering if you're going to you. move it on kind of towards the female, the growing uh, audience of female watch lovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we don't have any immediate plans i don't think in all honesty we we want to try and keep it focused um but i would say never say never um, i'm open to to ideas and and possibilities i guess um but yeah no thank you katie as well for, for for setting up the partnership because i think yeah it really adds you know some some quality to our readership obviously the, the members receiving it um and hopefully hopefully they enjoy it um but yeah women's watches and the women's side of things i'm not i'm not 100 sure i don't I don't have a definitive answer, I would have to say. Well, if you haven't already joined the Alliance and you haven't seen the magazine, I would heartily recommend that you do so because every moment that you're not a member, every moment you don't see the magazine, you're missing out. Every month I get a copy through my door and the quality is as good, if not better, than both of these guys have just said. It's a cavalcade of information, not just on watches, but associated things. Generally, as Katia pointed out there, it's more predominantly male-orientated, but I know that 
uh, Sarah, who works with us on the Scottish Watches podcast, mm-hmm. and co-host there. She is getting her feet under the table a little bit and doing a little bit of, I don't know, authorship with you guys as well? Yeah, you can read her piece in the latest issue where she covered the Boulevard A11 as a sort of unusual, unsung, very cool military vintage watch. Yeah, and as much as you say you don't delve into women's watches as much, the fact of the matter is most women I know wear unisex or larger sized watches so it covers all grounds. I have got a test watch in at the moment that my girlfriend is wearing because she wheeled it away and absolutely adores it and it is a 42mm so size doesn't matter it turns out. That's actually really true I prefer male watches I very often sneak Alistair's watches. Largely the case across the board. Yeah. Yes, but no, it's a fantastic magazine and we're probably going to delve into the depths of how it all came to be and what the progression has been over the past decade. But first of all, Katya, do you want to give us any updates on the Alliance and what has been happening there? Ooh, we've been busy. Um, well, we, as usual, got our social media and website running with lots of news uh, from British watchmakers and um, different features that we do. Um, but also we're working uh, by popular demand uh, on a live event for next year, uh, which we're really excited about Um Keep an eye on our um, website and social media. Uh, and we're also working on a, a careers hub for the sector as well, um, which should be launched in about a year's time. There's quite a lot of work there. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what British watches you're wearing today? And if it's not, not British, then don't tell us. <laughs> Sam, you can go for it. <laughs> wow. I'm not wearing a British watch, unfortunately. Um, I do own a couple <laughs> myself. Uh, I have a Fears that I bought ages ago second second batch of the brunswick a duckworth uh-huh. pressed x and a, and a few other of the more accessible ones um but what i'm wearing today is actually the watch my now fiance got me recently as an engagement gift so rather than a ring she went for a watch and it is a 1955 uh jaeger futuramatic portal oh, wow she knows you well oh, yes instead of the ring she has watch. <laughs> she has great taste in watches debatable about men wow Wow. again yes okay fair enough and moving across to your cohort (laughs) tom what are you wearing uh i am not wearing a a british watch either so um i don't actually own a british do you own any rolex watches pretty terrible really i was oh i i I don't i mean i'm yeah i'm I'm, I, i enjoy like an esoteric brand i guess um but i'm wearing a jungen's uh meister telemeter um which i'm a big fan of it's a sort of a vintage throwback design um yeah just uh, a german watch obviously because you know if you go on the british uh watches <laughs> podcast you gotta you gotta wear a german watch apparently ricky what have you got on your wrist well i am kind of wearing a british watch that is designed by a portuguese man that's involved with scotland and that is the isotope alba this is a variation of the Hydrium X series put together by Jose and it is fantastic. It's got a very glossy white dial enamel with heat treated blue hands, very Scottish in theme on an FKM rubber blue strap. And the reason this one is called the Alba is he loves coming up to Scotland for vacays and he obviously likes to go to different places including at the Isle of Arran and it turns out his company Isotope is named after isotopes which were discovered in the 
I think it was Glasgow University, nearly 100 years ago, there or thereabouts. So when he came up with the idea of doing a Scottish watch, he got in touch with myself at Scottish Watches and said, would we like to collab? We said yes, and this was the result. As we know, in this world of uh, timepieces, there have been many slowdowns in the industry, knock-on effect from what's been happening with the pandemic over the years. So there was a slowdown in release, but I believe there are a couple of these still left if anyone is interested. Katia? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Could I ask you I, what you're wearing? I'm, I'm, I'm not wearing a British watch, only kidding. <laughs> I'm wearing a few. I'm wearing a British watch. I'm wearing a Mr. Jones watch. Um, which is uh, very cool always playful watches i like them they make me smile Um, Ah. and i've got number cruncher Um, nice a choice influenced slightly by my eight-year-old son um he's fascinated by number cruncher because he eats numbers and numbers churn his tummy (laughs) in addition to numbers he's got lots of other stuff churning there's houses and um cars and all sort of um junk inside of his tummy (laughs) mr jones do really good watches at very economical prices they're very fun they're exactly where the watch hobby should be it's all about enjoyment and hobbies should be fun and they definitely do that and we did an open dial with them and god when was that that was nearly a year ago probably that's still on youtube isn't it it is on youtube and it's on our website yeah, yeah so people can have a look at that after they finish listening to this episode but let's get back to it with the guys how did the whole magazine come to be then what was the planning process and what has what been the highlights and the lowlights across a decade? Because we've had pandemics. We've had all kinds of ups and downs. The magazine itself was born out of a... a, a essentially, myself and my business partner worked for another publishing company. Um, we were running a very similar operation um, to, to, to Oracle Time um, and decided that we were doing all the hard work ourselves and essentially decided that it was going to be something that we might as well do on our own. Um, especially as our our sort of uh, bosses then kind of lacked the passion that we that we wanted. Um, so yeah, that's how it all started. Um, it was it was a business decision. You know, I, I was sort of twenty five when when we started it, so it was quite a while ago now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at, from then, I've I mean, I've always had an interest in watches. My my family um, of you know a family of collectors um i guess my uncle's massively into watches he has the first Ulysses Nardin freak he, he my dad collects um rolexes so it's always been sort of around my my life um but it wasn't until you know a few years of producing the magazine in partnership with that retailer that i mentioned um the the passion sort of really developed further um and yeah been lots of ups and downs as you mentioned since since we first launched the publication but i think you know since sam's been editor and over the past four or five years it it really has developed as a publication that you know we can be proud of and and i mean we are a little bit perfectionist there's always things we look at we can include you know whether that's the photography whether that's the content whether it's the you know the journalism behind the stories um but you know we've put out some really strong issues we get some great feedback um, so that that's probably the most exciting part for me is is the feedback that we get from our readers and fulfilling that niche, I guess, and and that sort of gap that there seems to be um, in in the UK market for 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 a print magazine and and just trying to keep the quality high is is something that we always always strive for, I guess. No, you do it well, and for you saying this is a decade and it took a while to get the wheels in motion in your brain to fall in love with it to watch you 
over the past couple of years, because I've, I've seen you in over in Geneva at Watch and Wonders the last two, to see the amount of energy and effort you put in, because some people, it literally is a box tick exercise and they phone it in. But when you're over there, you're running around as daft as me. And <laughs> I, I'm going from one place to another, getting Instagram reels, recording stuff, sometimes recording a podcast live. But you've got the same amount of kick after 10 years, which usually, you know, that seven year itch, it starts to wane slightly. How do you keep your motivation and your spark going? First and foremost is, you know, that strive to produce something that we can be proud of. Like, I think that's the main thing, you know, that, that drives me, you know, it's, we're not going to become millionaires doing this <laughs> in, in all honesty It is trying to produce something that's high quality. Um, that's just something that I think, you know, me and the team have, have in us, you know, we are a small team as well. You know, there's only probably eight full-time staff. You've got tons of contributors. I, I, I looked and you've pretty much got everybody. <laughs> every every journalist, blogger, the best ones in the watchmaking world. I don't know, is there anyone you don't have on the list there? <laughs> no one, no one we won't get on there soon. Yeah, we try and work with the, the best journalists, I mean, to produce the best content, obviously, um, and we're able to outsource that. But the, the small team that we have, you know, it, like I said, it is, it is like a family. So, you know, We've seen that grow, you know, we've seen the effort, the hard work that they put in. It's a much higher quality product as well, because unlike online, where if somebody makes a mistake, there's a typo, it can be fixed under the radar and nobody has an idea unless somebody spotted it. Once the presses start rolling, that's it, game over. <laughs> so uh, I feel for you. And the amount of energy that goes into magazines versus <laughs> throwing a picture on Instagram at 1920 by 1080, you know, it's got to be the highest of quality because it's coming out in print. And that's what I love about your magazine because like you say, you can disconnect after a long day. You've been staring at a screen for eight hours. The last thing you want to do is look at your phone and if you can just lie back, chill out, coffee, whiskey, whatever it is in hand, and just flick through the pages. It's also not curated to what you've already looked at. Instagram with the algorithm, if you look at Rolex watches, they're going to show you more Rolex. With you guys, every page is different. And if you miss the contents page and just jump straight into the heart of it, you know, you're on an adventure. You don't know what's going to come next. And I absolutely love that. Yes, love. I, I actually collect them all. I've got them, the piles yeah. sitting here. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it's a great deal as well. How, how, how much is it, guys? £89.50. For, uh, which is for, 10 for issues year, throughout the year. Oh, that's really that's good. Great, yeah. And we could probably yeah. jump over and ask Sam then, um, what's your kind of origin story? How did you get involved in this? Well, his first word was, uh, um, was that uh, uh, complication? No, escapement. <laughs> that was it. Oh, yes. there you go. Actually, it runs in that, his blood. That, that, that is a lie. Um, as oh. my dad recently reminded me, it was chronograph. So oh, really? there you go. Um, so I was never going <laughs> to escape the vortex of the watch world because... Um, my dad is also a watch writer. So I grew up surrounded by watches. Back when I was little, he was mainly sort of uh, dealing vintage pieces and some funky military ones. But um, yeah, when I was sort of looking for work, he was one of the preeminent watch writers uh, in the industry. That's not to say I got any jobs through nepotism. Um, I actually <laughs> started off on the Omega marketing team in 2012. And from there, just kind of progressed over to the freelance watching side uh freelance writing side first about just general luxury then when i uh 
met Tom and Mark after many events and many beers, I moved over <laughs> to Oracle Time, all all very naturally and organic. Well, you say that you fell into the watch world because that was a vortex that was going to draw you in like a black hole, but you could have ended up in cars or hi-fi audiophile. How did you end up in watches instead of one of those? Um, I mean, I actually think it does go back to, to Amiga more than anything, because that was just an internship to sort of get get some experience, get into London. But their technical training at Omega, having to explain to people what a coaxial escapement actually is, um, was kind of infectious. Once you sort of start understanding how watches work from a mechanical standpoint, it's hard not to appreciate the minutiae of the mechanics in them. And from there, just think of not much else. The way I explained it to somebody (laughs) recently, and I'm watching the same thing that happened to me six years ago, happening to my girlfriend, who before she met me, (laughs) knew nothing about watches. And generally people don't kind of follow suit or follow into it, but she's absolutely grabbed the hobby and the lifestyle and ran with it. And the way that it kind of came to be explained was through the looking glass or into Narnia. Because once you peel back the layers of what's happening today, you've got hundreds of years. And I've had the opportunity to go to the Omega Museum across um, in Beale, I think it is. When I was over there last year, I went to so many places in Switzerland, I can't remember exactly where it was. (laughs) But you walk in at the beginning and there's parchment paper, quill and pad, and movements that were designed without CAD before computers had even been thought of. And there's this whole trajectory through the eons up to present day. And you can just fall completely down that rabbit hole for as long as you like and there's always something new to learn. I mean, even more locally, the uh, Greenwich observatory with the original marine chronometers things like uh understanding that we basically have posters from some of the concepts he was working with there to um stop issues with changes in temperature um there's there's a lot that comes from it and it's endlessly fascinating talking about history a great place to visit is um uh um, watchmaker's exhibition at the science museum um on the second floor if any of the listeners haven't been there that's that's amazing it's kind of like a historic tour through british watchmaking um ending with um the work of um, george daniels and um, roger smith our chairman (laughs) oh those guys it's it's actually uh, such an impressive <laughs> exhibition. It's quite big. Well, that's something I've not looked at, but I'm going to hopefully do a little tour of the UK this year. I promised to do it last year after COVID ended, but the thought of international travel and aeroplanes, it kind of caught me instead of staying within the mainland of the UK. But I'm definitely going to be taking some trips there. Now, apart from the watch content that's in the magazine, like I said, you cover multiple genres. What other things have you got in there? What have been the highlights maybe of the last few issues? Yeah, so <clears throat> obviously we cover um, style, which which goes hand in hand with with uh, with watches being sort of an extension of, of, of style so that's always a big part of the publication um yeah as i said earlier we theme the issues as well so we try and create sort of content around those themes um that sort of works nicely um with 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 the watch content as well um i mean in terms of highlights over the last few issues for lifestyle content wise i don't know it's, it's hard to remember i'm always so <laughs> focused on the issues coming up that <laughs> as soon as as soon as one's done um yeah, one that springs to mind is for the latest uh, aviation issue we shot Stowmarie's. at the uh, <laughs> Stowmarie's Aerodrome in, in in Essex, where our offices are. So it's actually the only surviving World War One Aerodrome 
<laughs> in Europe. So, um, so yeah, we shot some sort of vintage style pilots, which is some, some sort of aviation inspired clothes. There. It's a really cool place. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's got some original World War One planes there. Um, the mess is, um, sort of been, uh, refurbished to, to how it would be, um, back in, back in the early 20th century. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting place and it just happened to be down the road from us. So it seemed like the perfect place to, to, to do a shoot. You know, it's, it's only a small place, but it's, it's quite, it's quite cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll give you an easier time of it then. And we'll ask what current things are you guys working on or have recently worked on with British watchmaking brands because every time I flick through the pages there's always something that catches my eye here in the homeland we're always working with with British brands because yeah number one it's great to to champion them being from you know we're a British independent company ourselves so it's it's great to sort of work with 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 similar similar brands and I think that at the moment British brands are creating you know some of the most exciting products really in, in watches um, especially in terms of design you look at brands like isotope Farah, christopher ward um yeah studio underdog they're, they're all creating something that is very different from from what you'd find elsewhere and there's that sort of a sense of imagination and sense of creativity which is which is something that interests us um and um, you've done some very interesting um uh youtube videos with um a few um prominent people in the british watchmaking world um uh, there was one with Mike France and Nicholas Bums Cargill and um, yeah. Jonathan Hughes, the collector. What were the highlights or the key points that you've discovered from this? Uh, so Jonathan's knowledge of CWC is second to none. The guy knows absolutely everything there is to know, which is phenomenal. And his sort of love of the brand is infectious. Um, with with Nicholas, he always um, my mind boggles at his sort of obsessive attention to detail with pretty much everything. And realizing that that was from the inception of fears, not just something he picked up along the way. Uh, and you know, Mike France is Mike France, absolute legend of the British watch industry. So uh, yeah, people want to find out more, they can go have a look at them. Yeah, they were great videos. Um, that's, they're on your website, right? Um, and on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Quite interested in uh, uh, talking about British watchmaking. What are your top British watch choices this year? Um, what caught your eyes? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking eye-catching, pretty much anything fairer do at the moment. Um, yeah, the moon phase is stunning, the moon, isn't it? Yeah, we had the um, blue dial pink moon version in. And yeah, the images don't do it justice. It's a big slice of color on the wrist. I absolutely li- loved it. Uh, but pretty much all of their sort of pre-watch drops, there's always one that for me stands out. And that's not to say I dislike the others. I like them pretty much across the board. But there's always one that really makes me want to get my card out and just get it there and then. I think for the uh, 36 mil landers they just did, it was the sort of sea green one, a really gorgeous teal dial. Uh, and their sort of approach to color is phenomenal but i think that's something the british brands are pretty good at in general is color yeah mm. what about you tom um specific watches um i really like the isotope the exit that they that, that they produced i think that was a really cool watch interesting theme um big fan of what schofield watch company do they produce some really cool um looking watches i can't remember the name of it but the japanese um B- beta inspired i think watch. yeah i'm just on the website. a version of the beta yes yeah, yeah the beta Really, really cool. The watches are stunning, especially the case back. There's always a surprise. The winner. Yeah, they're they're kind of slightly under the radar as a watch brand, I think, as well. They don't necessarily get as much attention as some of the other 
other brands out there but yeah their beta their beta their japanese beta is is mm, one of my yeah. favorites that i've seen it's this one year, of those watches where you spot them somewhere at the watch show and you, you have a look at it you always ask to take it off let me see the case back yeah. as well yeah <laughs> it's just too special it's always cool spotting one of those in the wild Oh, it's always good spotting something that you know about that maybe other people just glance on by. That's one of the best things. And you're right, the colour schemes that the British watchmakers are bringing out just now. I mean, Studio Underdog, that's probably right at the top of the tree when it comes to fruitful labours and the different colour mm. schemes that he comes out with. And we've got to remember, his brand's only a couple of years old. But no, it's, it's fantastic to see so many British companies pushing the envelope forward and actually collaborating and working together. We mentioned on the first episode, Fears working with Mike France and Christopher Ward to produce a limited edition watch for the Alliance. And I know there's plans afoot with other people doing mm-hmm. other things as well. There is, and there's something's happening, but don't tell me shh again. <laughs> <laughs> something hopefully in the end of this year sorry to interrupt i was just going to say also um something that we've got coming up we've got a collaboration in, in the pipeline as well so something that worth worth bearing in mind um it'll be exclusive for our subscribers as well somebody tapping a pin yeah <laughs> he got, he got uh, very excited yeah, sorry, about it he did yeah. Yeah. Like collaboration I can hear your tail wagging and hitting off the desk there. <laughs> oh, but there's another thing to keep an eye on for later on in the year. Now, you've been going for 10 years. Yes. Things have changed dramatically. Instagram became mm-hmm. popular around about 10, 11 years yep. ago, but for watches, it was a lot closer to now that things really took off. How have you seen the developments within the watch industry and the watch community over that period of time? I think... From my perspective, I think the word like community is probably the key part. I think, you know, there is always negatives to social media. But one thing that is a huge positive is the way that it has created this community um, in watches. And I think that now more than ever, I mean, I think probably 10 years ago, there was probably a lot of isolated men uh, <laughs> and, and women looking at watches on their own, not really with, with anyone else to share them with or to share their passion with or their hobby. Um, as where now, you know, there's this massive web of collectors watch lovers um which is you know great to see and you can you can share information um much more easily um so yeah that's that's a played a huge part um and also just you know the popularity of watches has has really hit mainstream through through social media i mean none of that would have been possible you know the the stuff you know like the moon swatch um like the you know even like the 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 fears christopher ward those sorts of things really resonate with 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 social media and, and and i think that's been a massive positive for us it's always a it's always a hard um not to crack in all honesty social media because we are a a platform we're not an individual you know we can't be that personality in front of the camera quite as as well as an influencer um so so it for us it's 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 a it's, it's a little bit difficult at times but you know obviously we try and just keep promoting the publication promoting our, our website and, and and sort of creating i don't think you're doing nice too badly content. tom i think you've got about 20k <laughs> plus followers that's not bad at all <laughs> it's okay yeah i mean i think that you know th- there's always this temptation to just have this kind of like real strong personality at the forefront of, of content nowadays nowadays and i think people like to see that insight into um you know into the the behind the scenes stuff i think that's something we're going to try and do more with our social media is is you know showcase how the magazine's put together you know some of the process behind it um some of the more of the watches that we get into mm. the office because we you know we get so many lovely watches sent to us to to review and write about and, and photograph and i think something that 
maybe our hopefully our, our readers and, and followers would enjoy more was is perhaps more of a behind the scenes element um, which is something we're going to try and expand uh, moving forward but we, you know we're, we're really focused on trying to build that community as well you know last year I don't know if you guys saw, but we 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 did yes. a, a consumer watch awards essentially um, digitally online. <laughs> um, so that's some yeah, great. Thank you very much. Um, I was actually away in South America at the time, so oh, I, we were I in the no office just went, staring but, at the results um, nearer the time. It was but, uh, incredibly <laughs> close, right up to the eleventh hour. Yeah, I mean that's something we really want to try and keep pushing. Is because you know you have all these great events like the GPHG and these other watch awards, you know, Watch Pro doing awards, and that's that's all all good. But what we want is something that consumers can vote for and just have like any 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 watch can be entered essentially because you know that we don't want sort of barriers to entry or anything like that. So who won last year, and what were the top contenders? So last year, the the Seiko Kodo. Oh, good. Grand prize won. winner for um, many very good reasons. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see that people, you know, pick that as well, because it is such an amazing watch. I mean, the, the results are still live on the website. So that won the, the grand prize. Um, but we obviously have other categories as well. Um, we, you know, the, the win, that featured on the cover of our December Jan issue. Um, so that's going to be the same this year. We're going to run it in, you know, the autumn time and the, the winner of the grand prize will um, be featured on the cover. The, the, the Seamaster Planet Ocean Ultra Deep on the dive watch. Um, you know, the Speedmaster 57 on the chronograph, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So lots of uh, omegas there. Um, the dress, wa- dress watch was Erlang and Sonner, the Grand Langer one. So, yeah, so it's it, it does really showcase that, you know, the, the readers and our visitors to our website, you know, they know, they know what they're talking about, hopefully, when it comes to watches. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And what are your sort of other projections then across this year and beyond using that decade of experience? We'll be doing much of the same, really. <laughs> we won't be trying to reinvent the wheel, in all honesty. But, you know, just really continuing to, you know, we've got six issues left of the year now. Um, so focusing on, on on those in terms of content, obviously we'll be doing the, the Consumer Watch Awards. We've got some collaborations coming up. In terms of the industry, I mean, I don't know, perhaps you can answer that, Sam. I'm feeling <laughs> a little bit, I don't, I don't like making huge predictions. Yeah, neither do I, especially because literally all I do is focus on the magazine. So putting <laughs> putting one foot in front of the other uh, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, things like, you know, obvious trends to us, you know, salmon dials is, is something that we've seen this year, titanium watches, all the all the normal stuff. Um, a lot of flyback chronographs, of... which seems to have come out of nowhere, and I, I appreciate a lot of them. And I mean, for me as well, I mean, I guess predictions wise, I mean, I, I like using new technology to, to, to help create. Oh, chat GPTs writing your articles. Cool. Oh yeah, we're doing it. We're doing a, we're sort of outsourcing a, an issue to chat. GPT. No, we're not really, <laughs> but, but I have, I have written an article on, uh, AI watch design, which will be coming out in our June issue. Um, Who's featured in that? You know, who did you speak to? We didn't. We just created some watches ourselves, oh. <laughs> basically, and just uh, and yeah, just had a play around with Mid Journey and some other other other. Platforms. The results are well, um, actually pretty cool. Well, the reason yeah, I ask so, about that is I was speaking to George Bamford, another British watch guru, and he was telling mm-hmm. me that he used AI software not only to help with watches but the packaging and some of the stuff that was produced was insane. Yeah, so I think that sort of tech. I sort of discuss it in the article that I've, I've written, but it's really good for concepts, you know, coming up with 
original ideas and things like that but real world i'm unsure of the i'm not i mean i'm not a designer so um i'm not i can't say definitively but it's very good at coming up with some really cool concepts and i think that's you know the initial start uh, initial stage of, of of designing a watch or even a watch box or whatever it may be and i think that 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 hope i think that will play a big part in 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 some some areas in future definitely well i can definitely see many brands latching onto that like you wouldn't mm. believe yes. like they have absolutely ringed the neck of nfts and crypto <laughs> over the last couple of years <laughs> oh yeah. my god that'll come back well that's gonna come are we, back are we gonna go back there again are we yeah okay oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm well not not the the pixel art jpeg stuff but i think there's a there's a, a big use case for for nfts in in tracking uh, authenticity and 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 even having you know uh, digital certificates and things like that i think that brand watch brands you know we've seen watch brands like vacheron introduce um similar programs and i think that more brands will potentially do it but uh, that's just a that's a that's a wild prediction right there yeah you guys are based in the uk as are we but mostly watch events happen across the world i've caught up with you in geneva twice not seen you anywhere else but have you got plans to travel out with these borders have you got any events coming up perhaps dubai watch week or wind up watch fair or something like that happening no firm plans currently but i would love to get to wind up watch fair i've heard some good things about it um do you know the british take that over there seems oh, to be yeah. more yeah. hype christopher yeah, yeah. ward and fears all over it i, was having I a think drink christopher with... ward is sponsoring it yeah, I was having a drink with Don Cocker at uh, Vertex about this, and he was just like, yeah, British brands do incredibly well over there. Used to be mainly US, smaller, accessible brands, and now the Brits have truly invaded. So um, that's why I'm kind of debating it, because I don't necessarily need to go there to see the British watch brands. That seems a little silly. Um but it does seem like it's got a really good community vibe over there. So still thinking about it. What I would like to get to, though, is Dubai Watch Week. That's been, it's been on my radar since it started. It's just been getting bigger and bigger every year with um, additions specifically for the fair from, you know, MB&F and some of the real, real high-end guys. So two very, very different shows that kind of showcase the breadth of the watch world. But I think of the two, I'd, I'd very much like to get to Dubai soon. And Tom, what about you? Where's your passport going to end up this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, always interested in in getting out and seeing some watches. I think that's that's always interesting. But again, you know, now at the moment, the world seems like a smaller and smaller place. You know, you can send videos. We can we can look at watches. You know, there's nothing that quite beats the the, the getting a watch in your in your own hands and feeling it and playing with it, of course. Um, but for our from our perspective, you know, we work very digitally try and get as uh, much stuff sent to us as possible yeah. try and try and keep those uh costs low key and 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 that's kind of the way we work as a publication but it's always good to 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 go to manufacturers and, and events and 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 see obviously the guys involved in the watch community totally well as i say met you guys twice at both iterations of watch and wonders post covid what did you think of the show and especially this year? What were your kind of highlights? Doesn't have to be British <laughs> brands. Don't worry, we can extend the scope worldwide. Well, I'll uh, have to leave this one to Tom as I made the cardinal sin this year of not attending. Oh, yeah. You missed um, the dinner that me and Tom had. 
with other people. No, it wasn't candlelit, just us two together. There was a whole load of other folks there. But we had a great chat. We were walking around the streets of Geneva and went to a couple of after yeah. parties and stuff. I, and it was, it was I a mean, good I remember vibe. the year before. I uh, I don't doubt that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so this year then, Tom, over at Watch and Wonders. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was some, I, I thought it was a particularly strong show this year. Um, obviously, it was incredibly busy uh, as a whole other market there uh, at the fair itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the the, the my favourite releases, um, it's quite a lot to, to choose from, really. But some some that stand out, obviously, the Oris Pro Pilot Kermit, really cool. That is um, on our features on our cover, latest, yep. Yep, features on our, our latest cover. I love the uh, Carrera Glass Box. I thought that was very interesting. Um, the Grand Seiko Majestic White Birch makes me wonder how long it is until Grand Seiko actually just produce a bit of birch with a, a movement in it because it was really amazing the uh, the finishing across the case and, and the dial um but yeah the cartier tank normal was really cool obviously the the emojis the rolex <laughs> emojis were disgusting everyone knows that so uh <laughs> um no there was there were some really really nice watches you know as always there's just so much to 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 look at and and it, it seems to be more and more each year um but I thought there was some real imaginative stuff as well. Uh, one of the highlights for me, largely because we we got it into the office uh, a, a good sort of month or so before Watches of Wonders, was the um, IWC NGOSL, the sort of more retro, faithful to Magenta version. Um, and that was gorgeous. Otherwise, I think I um, went to the Vacheron Manufacturer few weeks before to go see the new retrogrades and the uh, salmon dial patrimony is absolutely stunning with the with the blue murals and, and lettering on it but there's some really really good high-end pieces to see yeah i'd have to agree and also what i remember most from this time around because i felt as if this show was the covid hangover Last year, you had the triple two from VC. You had the the Grand Seiko Constant uh. Force Turbion. There was nothing quite that high. Rolex looked like they'd swapped their design notes with Tudor. Tudor went quite plain sailing, quite safe. Rolex did something nobody expected. Clear case backs in a Daytona. It just blew my mind what they were doing within their scope not out with but it was the independence it was seeing what the likes of Chapek were doing what even Trilobe were doing there was lots of cool little things tucked away and the best of it was this year watch enthusiasts could buy a plane ticket and actually go and experience it themselves it wasn't locked up for media they had two public days which people seemed to really enjoy yeah I think the only thing that is a bit of an issue with the show is as you say is the, there's all these independents throughout the city and and they're kind of spread around in the hotels and you know it'd be great if they somehow managed to get because obviously you can buy a ticket as a as a consumer to go to watches and wonders but you might not necessarily you might miss all of these smaller brands that are that are dotted around you know Carl Suki and Sohn the launch the Belvedere which is really cool there's some there's some great watches out there um so that that seems like a they're sort of missing a trick a bit. It sort of needs to be contained a bit better. I think um, you know it's all right for us. We're over there for a week and and working and stuff. But you know, for for consumers, it'd be great if they're able to see all the all the brands in one yeah, go. It does make me uh, look uh, nostalgically back on the days of Basel World because obviously in its heyday, <laughs> every every watch brand and jewelry brand under the sun would go to that. It was open to consumers. You could wander around and get completely lost and uh, see more than you ever expected to. I well, do it's f- thanks to Baselworld that 
I ended up sitting in this chair with this microphone in front of me if I hadn't been for the eye-widening experience, as I say, of going to Narnia and walking through the front doors and seeing all the splendour and luxury in front of me from brands I didn't know exist. I wouldn't be doing this and this wouldn't be my career and I wouldn't be involved in this hobby, this community and this industry. So the shows are something I owe a lot to. And with Katia working on something that everybody in the UK can look at next year, I think we're on the up and up, Katia. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think it's worth worth mentioning as well to our listeners that someone wanted to know a bit more about what, what was happening at the Watches and Wonders. They should listen to Ricky's own Scottish Watches podcast because I think you did a, a couple of episodes on it, haven't you? We did. We were working almost as we as Tom was and I'm genuinely saying he was running around like a blue arse fly him and his team were going crazy which is brilliant to see because a lot of people take the foot off the gas and they get wind and dined and enjoy the lap of luxury a little bit too much without bringing the content forward and the whole reason I go is to talk about when you put that watch on your wrist how does it feel is it heavy does it is it lopsided you can't tell that from a render or an Instagram reel and yeah you're right we had a couple of episodes at Scottish Watches one immediately after the show where we went through 35 different meetings that we had over the course of three days tried to compress that down to an hour and a half and then we had Barbara Palumbo come on to give her take because she's got the gemology background the jewellery industry background going back decades and it was really good to sort of compare and contrast what was going on between us both what we liked what we didn't like Ricky does uh, is very prolific with his episodes two a week so I think although Watches and Wonders wasn't that long time ago why he probably already churned about 20 25 episodes after that so what numbers were those <laughs> oh god i couldn't tell you i would have to look back but yeah so scroll uh, back scroll, scroll back scroll, on the scroll. website and uh, then you'll see them there in about a couple of pages yeah <laughs> well i think that is the end of the show and before people go obviously if you're not a member of the alliance then you need to rectify that situation momentarily and if people want to check out more about oracle time what you guys are up to look at your online platforms as well as obviously the print publications how can they do that um well the main main place would be to head over to the website which is oracleoftime.com where they can find the magazine subscription our newsletter obviously all the most recent watch news releases content reviews um and yeah, that's the main place. And obviously, uh, all of our social media is is uh, linked on there as well. So it's best to just head over head over to the website. Brilliant. And Katya, for people that want to sign up, because obviously listening to this show and finding out what they're going to get when they become a member, how do they do that? Well, same thing. They go on our website, BritishWatchmakers.com. And um, there's a join in button there and you can read about all the benefits uh, that you get. So yes, do please join us and you can get the free subscription to Oracle Time Magazine for one year. Print. It's obviously the biggest benefit. <laughs> well, it is. Obviously. It is. <laughs> it's a great benefit. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. See you later. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.